I would say like really especially shifted my identity and how I viewed myself was the question of what if I'm not actually broken? Mm. And what if I'm not that flawed? You know, like what if I'm not this like quote unquote mess that I sometimes feel like I am? Like, what does that mean? And what does that imply Mm. about my life? And what changes if that's not true? Hey everyone, I'm Kara. And I'm Caleb. And welcome to the Kara and Caleb Show. When it comes to life, we believe it is so important to ask the right questions, but also to learn how to live in the tension and the uncertainty of those questions. Yes, when we learn to live in the tension of unanswered questions, we become more resilient, more radiant, and more human. On this podcast, we explore the questions that have shaped and defined the lives of our guests. And then we dive deep into the beauty and the transformational process that occurs as we wait for answers that may or may not come as we expected. So join us as we explore what's possible when we are able to rest in the tension and live the questions of our lives right now. I've got the heart of a Hey, everybody. I'm Kara. And I'm Caleb. And welcome to a new episode of our podcast. I'm so excited about this episode. Are you? I really am. We are actually coming to you live from Boston, Massachusetts. We're actually out in Massachusetts because I just got done keynoting a high school leadership conference in Cape Cod where almost 2,000 high school leaders from all across the state gathered for this three-day conference and had a chance to Mm. keynote this afternoon and what an incredible experience what an incredible how are you feeling i'm feeling pretty amazing actually it's so cool because like these students are incredibly more mature than (laughs) i was they i sat down with a couple of them at lunch with you and they were having like such articulate conversations with us and i was like i love the youth I love I the youth. Do you know what my favorite part was, though? What? Honestly, Caleb, I was sitting um, in the in the middle section, and I was... I spotted you from the crowd. Did you? With all the Why bright lights shining in my face. Why you wave at me and face? blow me a kiss? It's fine. Um, I was sitting in the middle section <laughs> watching you give the keynote, which was amazing, by the way. Thank you. You're so good. And these two teenage girls behind me were like, take off your hat. <laughs> and then the other one was like, take off your shirt. And Inappropriate. I, re- I realized that you're like a celebrity at these things i don't get to come with you to a lot of these speaking engagements so to see these teenagers gaga over you is very fun (laughs) i think it's more or less uh they feel more understood yes that's my mission so if you don't know i actually speak often and a lot of the speaking that i do it's in and out of schools and what i'm actually excited for Mm. is i've spoken in hundreds of schools in front of thousands of students and just doing whatever i can to create this safe environment where they can realize that you know what I'm not going to become the strongest me by hiding behind these different facades or acting like everything is okay when it's really not. I'm not going to become the strongest me by just doing more and trying to be more and trying to achieve more. I'm going to become the strongest me and the best person that I can actually become by taking off the masks, being vulnerable, and really opening up and talking about the things going on in my life. Yeah, I mean, I think what you said today to them on stage, just this idea that shame is going to override any any like talent that they have shame destroys more dreams than a lot skill set or talent ever will yeah and what a message to hear as a 17 year old man somebody should have said that to me what i'm really (laughs) excited about is i'm actually taking all the the content Mm. that i speak in front of students at these different schools all across my over the last couple of years and 
turning it into like an online course. Amazing. It's called The Strongest Me. I know it's about gonna that. It's going to be amazing. It's I know. Gonna I'm so, so good. excited about that. <laughs> it's going to be so good. But anyways, enough about that. Listen, if you've been here before, if you've listened to us before, we just want to say thank you so, so much for coming back mm-hmm. and joining us for this episode. And if this is your first time, we equally want to say thank you for taking the time uh, to listen to our podcast. It means so, so much to us. It does. And whether you've listened to us before or if this is your first time, this podcast is all about questions. We know that we're all looking for answers in our lives, but the answers we're looking for don't come without asking the right questions. In other words, answers are closed doors, but questions are ultimately what invite us in and they're what shape our lives. And just so you know, on each episode, we ask each guest to tell us about a question that has either shaped or is currently shaping their life. That's right. And on every episode, we we honestly love approaching life in each episode with this spirit of curiosity. Yeah. And what I love about today's episode is today's guest, she does just that. Yeah, she does. And if you don't know who Amy Young is, she's a coach. She's a speaker. She's an incredible voice on Instagram. She's absolutely hilarious but profound at the same time. And she has over 10 million freaking views on YouTube. Casual. Yeah, I have seven. <laughs> But I have to know, Kara, what did you think about Amy's question oh, gosh. that we just heard? Her question was so good. You guys all heard it, but she asked, what if I'm not actually as broken as I think I am? And when she asked it, I I was immediately challenged. I feel like it held up a mirror to my life mm. and, and forced me to look at ways that I operate with this narrative of I'm broken, whether it's in all areas of life or maybe just one stream, you know? And she takes this question, she unpacks some really amazing stuff. And like many of us, Amy grew up with this narrative of I'm broken. It came from, you know, messages in childhood. Childhood conditioning. Yeah. And so much of her unpacking the question led to more freedom, self-compassion, and empathy towards herself and other people. I think that nails it like freedom. Yeah. A She's lot of living freedom. this all new, newfound freedom that is radically transforming her life. Yeah. And listen, we know that you're absolutely going to love this episode. And I just want to say that if this episode really blesses you and if you're listening to it and somebody comes to mind, right, because you know that they might be in the thick of it, all that I would encourage you to do is just share this one episode with one person that comes to mind. And we just want to say thank you again for listening. And we really sincerely hope that this episode blesses you as much as it blessed us. Now let's listen to what Amy has to say. Um, And I remember this question coming out of a therapy session that I had. I used to work with this therapist who was just like, she just didn't let you get away with anything, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which like I really need because I can get super analytical and like all in my own head about stuff and Mm. be like super emotional. And she just had this like laser ability to just like cut through it. And I remember she just like interrupted me one day. And this was maybe when I was like two or three years into coaching. So Mm. I was at a really good spot in my life where like my business was doing really well. You know, like I was speaking on stages. Like I had people coming to me being like, when are you going to write a book? Like, you know, wanting to like work with me so I could like support them in, you know, cleaning up their supposed messes and stuff. But I still had this like deep feeling like nobody knows like how screwed up I am, you know? And um, some of it was like, just sort of classic imposter syndrome. But some of it also was, I had a big 
there was a big part of my identity that kind of was wrapped up in me being broken. Mm. And I remember this therapist just saying to me, like, she just cut me off and was like, Amy, I don't get it. Like, tell me, like, what is so messed up about you? Mm. Like, what is so flawed? Like, like, she was like, what are you like sucking dick for Coke or something? Like, that? <laughs> like, she was just like You know, like, she was like, where are the track marks on your arms? Like, did you like kill somebody? And I don't know about it. Like, she's like, what is this like deep, dark thing about you? And it was like this light bulb went off where I was like, Oh my God, like what if I'm actually not messed up at all? And can I tell you, it wasn't the feeling wasn't of like facing that wasn't like, Oh my God, I'm actually whole. It was more like, Oh, all of this like internal drama is bullshit. Mm, you know so like good. all of this uh this like stressful like you know shame spiraling and like oh yeah nobody knows like oh that's all just this like weird noise and distraction that I will kind of give my attention to or get absorbed into when really the truth is like I'm actually like I'm not that flawed and I'm not that broken and I'm not that messed up. And like, there was something for me where I was like, Oh, like that's kind of boring. Mm, mm. (laughs) Like the, you know, there wasn't as much drama. Um, and I lived in the chaos for so long, Mm. you know, like, and just, and, and thrived on chaos. Like I needed there to be like drama and confusion and, uh, I got such a charge and such a feed from that, that having to kind of let go of this idea of like, I might not be broken and I might not be that flawed and I might not be such a mess. And my life would get to be a lot calmer Mm. if I started to kind of unravel that story that I had about myself and like, what scares me about that? Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's so good. No, that's so good. It makes me think I, I, I can relate so much. I feel like I spent so much of my life believing I was broken Mm -hmm. and there's a really, (laughs) unfortunately, a really great drive about thinking that you're broken because then you can spend all of your energy spinning your wheels to fix yourself Mm -hmm. instead of, yeah, instead of resting in the fact that you're just okay. I think a lot of it too is that narrative is as destructive as it is. It's also self-protective. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Because that narrative is designed to keep you safe and small. Mm -hmm. Right. Because if you fundamentally believe that you're broken, you're going to have a ceiling of your life. There's no way you're going to allow yourself to reach these pinnacles of like success. Not using that word as like upper trajectory or like really reaching the person you were created to be because to become that Mm -hmm. person it's going to require the utmost vulnerability and willingness to show up and be seen. Mm-hmm. And so being mm-hmm. broken and entertaining that narrative, when you think about it as self-destructive as it is, it's also really like you're protecting yourself mm-hmm. from actually being seen because at some point, Amy, maybe you can attest to this and, or even elaborate on it. At some point somebody did see you and they didn't accept you for who you are mm-hmm. or something happened where you were exposed and you were deeply wounded and that's when you in maybe internalize that messaging that says, oh, wow, something internally is flawed with me, which I would say is shame. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm curious, oh, sure. do you, have you been able to like kind of go back and to understand, like, when did you pick up this narrative? I think a lot of it, I don't think that it was very, I don't think it was direct. I think mm-hmm. it was a, uh, very, very indirect. Um, and I think it stemmed very much from, and this is something I've been doing a lot of work on uncovering actually, like in the past six months, 
because I've been working, I've been doing a lot of equine therapy while I'm out here. Uh, I'm working with this amazing. Amazing. It's like, I'm telling you, I'm like a hippie horse mountain child now. <laughs> I'm like, um, and this is something that we've been kind of working on together was how much, so I grew up in a very like high conflict household where there was just a lot of tension and my parents um, just had a really tense relationship, you know, mm. and, and argued a lot. And, um, you know, when you're really young or like too small to understand how the world works or to be able to be like, hmm, my parents are like two grown individuals who have their own like wounding and trauma. And like, it has nothing to do with me. You know, right. like we're trying to make sense of and have some semblance of control over things that as a small child, like you have zero control over, mm. you know? Um, and there was a part of me that in witnessing that and and sort of being exposed to that started developing this like story or this idea that was like, oh, there must be something that I'm doing or something about mm. me that's creating this conflict mm. because I didn't know how to make sense of it in any other way. And instead of having to exist in that super vulnerable space of I can't control this, I don't know why this is happening, I can't do anything about it, this is overwhelming and I feel completely powerless to it. You know, instead of doing that, like Brene Brown talks about like blame as a vulnerability shield. Mm -hmm. Like we can't sit in all of that unknown and acknowledge how truly vulnerable we are. So we want to find something or someone to blame. And very often we will, when we don't know what else to point to, we will point to ourselves mm -hmm. and say, it must be something about me. Mm -hmm. Even if I can't, you know, point to exactly what it is or name the thing, there's something broken or there's something inherently bad about me that is creating this experience or creating these circumstances or mm. you know resulting in this outcome and uh I feel like that feeling of like oh there's something just like bad about me and I can't name it like this like mysterious yeah like this like source of shame um it's sort of like it's like a little like vortex that starts to kind of like spin and like develop in, in our lives and in our psyches and in our systems and in our being that then, you know, whatever, like you believe internally, you start to look for evidence for mm -hmm. to support, Right. So if I have that little seed planted at a really young age, unintentionally, unconsciously, um, and it's, it's almost like when I'm looking in my life for like, why, you know, what else isn't working or what else isn't getting me what I want or, you know, where else am I dissatisfied or yeah, like where am I, uh, you know, like, oh, if this person doesn't like me or doesn't invite me to their birthday party or if this guy doesn't want to date me, instead of being able to take that larger view, it's like we're scanning the world looking for like what, in, what informs and enforces this belief yeah. that like I'm broken or I'm bad. Yeah. But we start collecting all these little data points and we end up with this really dense like scatter plot internally that's like, look at all of these examples yeah. for like I was unwanted or I, uh, yeah, like there was this like painful experience or this person, um, yeah, like didn't choose me or, you know, any number of. We can of build a case. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. We start just like building more and more of a case for that. Mm -hmm. um, and. I think we all have stuff like that. Absolutely. I mean, like, I don't know anybody who doesn't have like, right. a I don't know what you talking about. Like, I'm, <laughs> that's definitely not me. Like you guys definitely are really screwed not up. You. <laughs> yeah. There's a, there's a quote that says we look for proof of the narrative mm -hmm. that we believe. Yeah. And just what you said, this idea that we are constantly scanning the world, looking mm -hmm. for evidence of something that we already have agreed 
to. Mm-hmm. And I think what's so powerful about your question is that it really it holds so much curiosity towards your own life and being willing to reevaluate like, is this actually true? Is yeah. this thing that I believe actually true? Which is amazing. Mm-hmm. How has um how has equine therapy played into that? You mentioned it, but how has that been pivotal? Oh my God. I could I could just talk about it forever and ever <laughs> I, ages. I'm such a geek about equine therapy. I'm like it's, in another life that is what I will do. <laughs> I know. I keep asking myself, I'm like, do I need to go back to school? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Therapist. But um so what I love there's so many things that I love. I'll also say it's sort of like hard to talk about because it's a very, it's a very like subtle form Mm -hmm. of therapy where it's not like I've done talk therapy for years. And obviously like I'm a coach, I'm very used to like sitting one-on-one with a person or in a group, you know, and, and analyzing things basically and sort of like unpacking things mentally and emotionally. Yeah. Um, Equine therapy is so like energetic and physical. Yeah. So, you know, you'll be able to sort of like drop into things or access things that your mind would otherwise find ways to kind of like circumvent Mm. (laughs) around. Um, I think one of the biggest things as it like relates to this was, well, and actually like what sort of revealed this whole kind of like internal narrative about like, oh, I blame myself for things that have nothing to do with me. Mm. One day we went and there's this one herd that we're working with and I was like, you know, just connecting with a couple of the horses and something kind of spooked one of the horses and he stepped back and his hoof landed on my foot. And, and I kind of just like froze and, you know, like my therapist, Stephanie came over and like, (laughs) kind of like shoved him off of me and she was like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, but like, I just feel really bad because like, Mm -hmm. I don't know what I did wrong that like made him want to step on me. And she was like, oh, that's really interesting. Like, that you assume that it's something that you did, Mm. you know? And we kind of just like explored that a little bit and it sort of became like, you know, all of this stuff started coming up where I was like, oh, when there's a situation or a circumstance where I don't feel like I have control or I can't understand why someone did something or why something happened, my go-to is like, I must've done something wrong. You know, like, oh, it must be something about me. Um. And that was really eye-opening because that was just something that I never could have pinpointed otherwise. Like, I mean, maybe I could have, I'm a pretty self-aware person, but it was such a concrete example of like me inventing a story about what happened between me and this other horse Right, right. that was, that wasn't based in anything, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of what the work that I love doing with horses is it really highlights for you. Like, what are the stories that I create around connection? Mm. Like, what are the narratives you know, that I sort of will, um, unconsciously place onto, onto others that are completely like made up, Mm -hmm. you know, like I walk into a room and then, you know, what are the automatic sort of like associations that I have about like, Ooh, based on this person or that person or the way that those people are standing, what's the narrative that I'm creating here. And you can do that. It will do that, you know, with anybody anywhere and definitely in, in a herd. Mm. It's so good. It is. I've never yeah. done um, equine therapy, but my Ugh. aunt, who I love dearly, she actually doesn't live very far, like forty five minutes from you, mm-hmm. and she she does she gets on like these projects that she just loves, and her recent project is she basically buys horses off the chopping block, so like mm. horses that are about oh, to be slaughtered, she will buy them and nurse them back to health. Mm. My uncle is like, oh my god, another horse! Like, what are you doing? Um, but 
I will watch her whenever I'm visiting and she'll go out in the morning and she'll feed the horses. And mm. I'll sometimes catch her from the window and she's just staring into the horse's eyes. Mm. Um, and they're just like having this moment where I'm like, I'm observing. And I'm like, this is, she's just not feeding the horse. I think she's being fed right now. Yeah. And mm. she will come back and like, she'll have tears in her eyes. And, she, and like one time she told me, she was like, I, I feel so known when I spend mm-hmm. time in the presence of horses. Uh, me too. Like I feel so known. I just feel seen. Like they can see into me. They Caleb. do. They see you. And I'm just like, wow. That's really interesting. Well, they mirror things they back do. to you yeah. too, which I think is interesting. My 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 largest experience with equine therapy was at on site in Nashville. And I interestingly had an experience where um my my sense of brokenness got brought up because I was interacting with a horse who was by far the most beautiful in the whole herd, but mm. for, uh, for whatever reason, he had been injured and he couldn't he couldn't take riders anymore. He, like people couldn't ride him, and I had this like twenty minute dialogue with him <laughs> internally about how he wasn't broken just because he couldn't have people ride him, mm. and it you know you you realize you're speaking to yourself and like telling this horse he's not broken and that he's beautiful and that he's powerful and all these things. And then, you know, your, your therapist is like, do you know you were having that conversation with yourself? <laughs> but it really is such a mirror back into your own, into your yeah. own psyche, which I think is so cool. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. It's so good. Going back to this, um, this narrative of, of blame and thinking that you're internally flawed. Mm. Like I can definitely relate so much to that because I remember when I was in Canada and I was like maybe 20 or right at like 29, 30 years old, maybe my 30th birthday, actually, I had this moment where I realized, oh, my God, I'm 30 years old and I've never taken responsibility for my life. Mm. Like, whoa. Mm. And that was such like a big wake up for me because up until that point, I'm constantly pointing the finger and placing the blame somewhere else. And I finally took responsibility when I understood that my life is the way that my life is because of me. Then I started Mm -hmm. to really dig into like healing, right? But then as I really dug into healing, because for so long I turned healing into a performance um, and it wasn't Mm -hmm. so much about surrendering or my my willingness to let go. It was all about willfulness and I can will my way into healing, um, which was part of my journey. But for me, when I realized that I put all this time into inner healing um, and I was still and it was on me, but my life was still such a fuck up mess so much chaos in my life at that time I couldn't help but to realize like damn it I have nowhere to point the finger except for at me I am creating this scenarios and situations and I was like god I must be really broken you know I must be really Mm. broken and so I relate so much to that but I'm curious on outside of equine therapy Amy what is that first step uh that was big and pivotal for you in changing this narrative Mm. What a great question. Um, I think one of the biggest things is realizing that like, so with us, I think you kind of named this just there um, with a story like this, or, you know, with any story or strong narrative that we have or strong belief that we have about ourselves, it doesn't matter what you do like that story will continue to persist, Mm. you know, like it doesn't matter. Like, I mean, to the point where, right. Like I was a successful life coach Mm -hmm. and, you know, people were coming and wanting to work with me from all over the world. 
And I was like speaking on stages to hundreds of people and people were giving me like amazing feedback and my clients were having all these amazing results. And the way that that narrative would like shift those really cool experiences or like that work that I was doing with people would be like, oh, like that's how fucked up you are. Like you're so messed up and broken that like you can trick all of these people and get them to like think that you're like that's like next level messed up and broken yeah 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 wow like so I think the thing what you have to get I think what everyone kind of has to get really good at is like just uh or for me like you know question any and all assumptions that you have about yourself Mm. because you know, the mind is really, really tricky and sneaky. And, and it really is like, you know, our beliefs are like these, these programs that just run. And it doesn't matter what the external circumstances look like, or like, however many awesome things come into your life. If you have a program running, that's just like, no, you're broken. No, you're bad. No, you're flawed. Then no matter what happens, and that program is going to warp that reality to, to kind of uh, match whatever that internal program is. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think for me, one of the most powerful tools was when I got started doing the work of Byron Katie. Oh, Are you guys mm-hmm. familiar? Yes. Like fan. just, I'm like such a super fan. I'm just like <laughs> completely obsessed it's with so her. Good. And I remember, yeah, I went to um, like a live workshop she did in 2017. And like that was really transformative for me because it got me to really get in the, like the, the, instinctive habit of just like oh if I have a stressful thought I need to question it mm-hmm. you know like if I have if there's something um going on in my head that's like upsetting and uncomfortable and and making me anxious it needs to be questioned it doesn't need to be like prescribed to and bowed down to it needs to be you know like lovingly interrogated yes. a little bit yeah and and starting with just you know the first for anyone who isn't familiar um, the work of Iron Katie, or it's this, it's really like a, a form of inquiry and kind of like written kind of meditation um, to dissolve stressful or unhelpful thought patterns. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the first question that you ask yourself is just, is it true? Mm-hmm. Like, is it true? Am I broken? And you just listen for an internal response. And then my favorite thing is that the second question is, can I absolutely know that it's true? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because it's like, my knee jerk response might be like, is it true? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's definitely true. Cause I've been telling myself that forever and it feels really true. And that's all that a belief is. It's just a thought that we've, you know, uh, believe we've thought so many times that we don't question it anymore. Yeah. Um, and, but the second question of like, can I absolutely know that it's true? Well, no, mm. like I can't absolutely know that actually anything is for sure certain and true and just letting yourself land in that is super powerful like landing in that space of like unknown willing to question willing being willing to not know uh or admit that maybe i'm actually wrong about this maybe this isn't true i think opens up a lot like we don't give enough credit Mm -hmm. to just allowing ourselves to potentially be wrong that's so good it is good i didn't even know go ahead no, go ahead. I didn't even know I was doing Byron Katie when I moved to Canada. <laughs> yeah. But that's like essentially what I was doing. Yeah. But it was like the biggest part is actually getting the awareness to be mindful of when those narratives or when that stress or the anxiousness or the the, the panic or what, whatever hits you, that uncomfortable emotion when it hits you uh-huh. and just getting really, like Amy said, curious about it. 
mm-hmm, not suppressing yeah. it, not denying it, not getting angry at yourself because you're putting in all this work and you think that this work means you're never going to feel anxiety again. And you're telling yourself because you are feeling anxiety, you're broken. That's mm-hmm. not the case. Mm-hmm. And so I got so curious. Like, I, it, honestly, I turned it into a game mm-hmm. where it was yeah. like, I'm feeling anxious right now. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What am I mm-hmm. What am I thinking? Like, what yeah. am I thinking? Because, yeah. I mean, there's that Carl John quote, until you make the unconscious conscious, like mm-hmm. life will happen, you call it fate, mm. right? But that's the process of becoming very curious about not only what you're feeling, but why you're feeling it. Mm-hmm. Um, Amy, can you walk us through the final two questions of Byron Katie? Oh my God, it would be my greatest joy. Like, <laughs> I nerd out so like, let's give hard. people all the tools. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So question one is, uh, is it true? Question two, can I absolutely know that it's true? Question three is who would I be without this thought? Right. Um, wait, is that the third question? I think that's the third it's, question. I think it's, um, how do I feel when I believe this thought? Oh, 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 you're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. So question three is, yeah. Like who do I become when I believe this thought? Uh-huh. Like yeah. what happens to me? Um, and actually like closing your eyes and putting yourself in that moment yeah. and like feeling into, yeah. Like who do I become and what happens to me? Like what, you know, and just cataloging. And like you're saying, Caleb, like getting super curious and having no agenda around it. Mm-hmm. Like not because it's like, so I have to like exercise this evil thought out of me, but just be like, let me just look at my internal landscape a little bit and get kind of fascinated mm. about it. Because like the truth is if I did it around like, oh, I'm broken. Like who do I become when I believe this thought? It's like, oh, I like shrink. I get scared. Yeah. You know, like I feel small. I contract. I get worried. Mm-hmm. I don't trust myself. I don't trust others. You know, like there's all these kinds of ripple effects that we get to identify then. Um, and then, yeah, question four is who would I be without this thought? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like going into that experience and just letting yourself delete the belief for a moment and imagining yourself in that moment, like without that without that little input without that thought or belief and you know I've watched like hours and hours and hours of Byron Katie doing the work Mm. with people it's always so fascinating that everyone is like oh I would like actually be totally at peace or I would be Uh delighted or I would be open or I would feel loving you know like and it just goes to show that those thoughts are what's like you know creating all of this like dissonance or frustration or Mm -hmm. discord emotional chaos yeah Yeah. um and then the final step is you turn the thought around which basically basically means you just input the opposite and you come up with three examples Mm. for how that's true in that moment so like instead of i am broken i could say okay i am whole Mm. like What's it like to just sit with that? And what are like three examples that I can come up with for like where that's actually true in that moment? Mm. And I think one of the biggest gifts that I've gotten out of doing the work is just that it's forced me to explore other possibilities, you know, and to just kind of like switch lanes. Cause most of us are used to our narratives are like these like deeply, you know, these deep groups. And it just forces you to kind of like pick up the wheelbarrow and be like, okay, I'm not going to, you know, just go down this one path, this one groove. I'm going to like carve this new path. Yeah. Well, that's so good. And that takes some serious work. Yeah. It's a lot of effort. It's a lot of work. Yeah. It takes some serious work. Or, yeah. Just like when you have such like deeply rooted uh, belief systems, yeah. trying to rewire 
those neurons to think differently, especially at an older age. Like, gosh. And that's why I'm always like, when I'm talking to, with people who are 35, 40, 45, 50 years old, and they're still leaning in and realizing that there's a higher way of doing and living life and they're mm. willing to do the work and they're trying to uproot 50 years of a belief system mm. like god i love you yeah mm. um on the podcast we talk so much about this idea of connection and even with we've told you about the same but the connect dinners that we do and these like experiences that we facilitate yeah. they're all about getting people to connect to themselves to other people and then to the greater whole and yesterday i was reading this article about connection and they were saying the the number one tool to create a connectedness to yourself is to remain curious mm. and practice suspending judgment on your life. Mm. And I I think it's so fascinating. I as we're talking about this idea of brokenness, I'm reflecting on my life and how um, for so long, even in my singleness, I was like, oh, there must be something wrong with me. Like I mm -hmm. must be inherently broken because I'm 34 and haven't met my person yet, you know? And that was this narrative that I, I believed and, and actually through Byron Katie and a lot of other forms of work, I remember actually the weekend before I met Caleb, I was sitting in Nashville on a back porch with a friend. And I said to her, I was like, I feel so connected to my life. Like, mm. I feel like I, uh, it was that experience in my body of like, I am whole. I, mm. and not, a, not, not necessarily just a thought, but like in my body, I felt like, wow, I'm really whole. My mm. life is complete. And it's just fascinating to me that I met him the, the weekend after that, because I think there was something energetically that had settled that mm -hmm. created, created space for a person to walk in where before I had been operating from this mindset of like, Oh, I'm so broken. And I need this other person to come in and help fix the problem. Mm -hmm. of my brokenness mm -hmm. yeah so it's really it's fascinating to think about just this idea of of doing the work in order just to get connected to yourself that's the goal that is the goal yeah, yeah. well and and it's interesting because isn't that so much like what we would want from a partner too mm -hmm. you know like do you want someone who's going to come into your life and like that's every, you know I've been in relationships or I've been the partner who like had a lot of judgments, mm. you know, or who was, who felt that they were being judged or who felt misunderstood. Um, and it's, and it's miserable. And it's like, you know, I talk a lot about like sourcing from ourselves and self partnering and like thinking like one of the most, actually this would be like a good, another good, like powerful question to ask. But I, I remember I got to a point where I was like, okay, I made a list of like, you know, what's everything that I want like from a partner or from a relationship, mm -hmm. like what are all the things that I am anticipating that like I should receive or I should get and how do I start giving that to myself? Yeah. Um, so good. That's and so yeah, good. yeah. And I love, but I love just like how seemingly simple those, those two points are like, what if I was just curious with myself? Mm -hmm. Like what if any time I was having a bad day, instead of getting like frustrated or annoyed, I was just like, well, what's going on? Mm -hmm. You know? Like, and just got, was really like gentle and open. Uh, and, and like, yeah, what if I just like never judged myself? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so <know>? hard. Like, <laughs> so just hard. like so assumed, hard. like gave myself the benefit of the doubt. That's like, maybe I really am just doing the best I can all the time. Mm -hmm. And, and that's okay. Like, you know, that's completely fine in the way that we want someone else to be able to come into our lives and love on us or appreciate us or highlight for us all like, you know, the wonderful things that we don't see about ourselves, like really stepping into that role and being like, Oh, I can show up that way for myself. Yeah. Now. That's an option. Mm. 
It's so good. Self-compassion mm-hmm. is one hell of a journey. Yeah. It's, it's funny because you're like, I know I should be exercising self-compassion <laughs> right now. And then it's like, I get mad at myself for like whatever. And I know in my head that I'm supposed to be compassionate towards myself. But then I get even more mad more at mad myself because I'm not being compassionate. At I know. It's like this meta so experience of just self-hatred just uh, being piled on. I had a I had a, a question come up for me probably like three years ago where... I was like, why, when I'm having a hard time, like when I'm having a meltdown, why am I mean to me? Like mm-hmm. if, if you were having a hard time, Amy, I wouldn't be mm-hmm. mean to you. No. I would be like, let me give you a hug and talk tenderly <laughs> to you. But when I'm having a meltdown, why all of a sudden is my natural disposition to get mean to me? Uh-huh. And I think even asking that question of like, how would we speak to our, you know, our younger selves or our little child or even a best friend when they're having a breakdown we would do it gently and compassionately mm-hmm. and that's been yeah that's been like a tool for me to to turn turn the voice a little softer amy i one. know a lot of your work is um in the context of relationships right yeah. mm-hmm. uh what is a single and slaying it do you still do that single and slaying slaying it. <laughs> that's amazing yeah, that, yeah um that's been like my like signature group mm-hmm. program for women you know over the past four years or so and now it's yeah it's a digital course now that's yeah it's awesome. amazing um i know i've read this question a while back ago and i know it's a big question but i'm interested in just hearing what comes up first um but how do you get love to stay oh uh by recognizing that you can't mm. well i would say two things <laughs> one by recognizing that you can't that like um that love is not something that because love doesn't cling Mm. and love doesn't control and love doesn't uh, love doesn't see itself as like a commodity or, or something that is scarce. Right. Mm. So like we can only try to hoard something or keep something or want something to stay when we believe that there is an absence of it Mm -hmm. and there is no absence of love. Um, So it's like, it is sort of like a, a a paradox right but it's like in allowing love to go where it it wants to go and how it wants to go or to take new shape or take new forms you know you're actually creating uh more space for love to fill you up or for love Mm -hmm. to have a presence in your life because you know something i sort of have like discovered or um seen especially like in my meditation practices lately is like love really is like a frequency Mm. that like I think moves through everything all of the time but we've been trained into this idea of like that love is this like commodity (laughs) you know like it's like this like fixed thing that you either have or you don't when really it's it's like oxygen you know um so yeah love does not like to be controlled or contorted like if you do i think love like laughs <laughs> that's so good love laughs i love yeah. that i love the um the abundant like it is so true and when you realize just how like there is no shortage of love yeah. right? and so because there's no shortage you can release it yeah and right? you can hold it loosely yeah and it's and it's only our idea that there is a shortage right. or it's only our idea that we don't have it that keeps us pinched off from right. it right yeah, right it's a whole like mind shift and change. Yeah. Yeah. Which is tricky. Yeah. Mm. I think it's very similar to doing the same work like financially. With money. Yeah. With money. It is. Consciousness. Right? Yeah. It's just, it's this idea that we think there is a very 
our 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 approach to my uh, to finances is very lack centric. Yeah. Like there's like I a have to get more. Amount. I have to get it's more. Because it's not enough. Yeah. Right. It's a very different approach. That's really good. I also with with conversations around wealth consciousness that we've had, we've referenced it as energy. Like mm-hmm. it's just energy, and energy needs to circulate. Like mm-hmm. it needs to be, like money needs to be spent, and it needs to like flow. Mm-hmm. And just this idea with love too that it has to be yeah. like given out in order to come back. Yeah, it's really good. I've got the heart of a hero.